Welcome to Callback Podcast number 14. On this podcast, we interviewed comedian Tom Rhodes. Tom came out to our studio. We had a nice chat about his time as a talk show host in Amsterdam. He had his own sitcom for a while. We talked about life on the road. We talked about baseball, all sorts of stuff. And, uh, yeah, we just had a blast. And I hope you enjoy listening to it. As always, you can reach out to us at uh, callbackpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes for free. Tell all your friends. Like us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, Callback Podcast. Also, we're on Twitter, at Callback Podcast. And with that out of the way, let's get going. Podcast number 14 with Tom Rhodes. We are here with our uh, our guest, lucky number thirteen, the callback. Oh podcast. Christ, am I the thirteenth? Yeah, do you think I'm maybe we should? Leaving. I don't want to be the thirteenth. <laughs> do you want to skip it? Like I want you to put someone else before me and put me the fourteenth. All right, maybe we'll do like a host one and then we'll put that ahead of you. But uh, yeah, maybe we should skip it the way they skip like thirteen in the hotels. Yeah. You know how they do. But only more twelve to fourteen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we're here with Tom Rhodes. Uh, Tom, uh, who also has his own podcast, we're just talking about that. Tom Uh, Rhodes Radio, free on iTunes. (laughs) Free? Wow! (laughs) First thing he did was plug his own (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Holy shit! Actually, what's going to happen here? I'm embarrassed at how quick that plug came out. (laughs) Actually, what's going to happen here is Tom's going to take this. Wow! You should turn off this podcast now. (laughs) He's going to release and go listen to my. He's going to release this as one of his because he's too lazy to fucking... Oh, my God. Wouldn't this be a great time to hit the stop button on this podcast and go hear one of mine? Oh, uh, I am like jealous. You've had, some really, of good you've had some really great guests on your show. You've, Doug Stanhope, Brian Regan. Brian Regan. Good uh, w. Kamau Bell is going to be oh, wow. coming up. He's got a new show, right? Yeah. Um, you I've had Dana, Brenda Burns? Da- Brenda Burns, Mutual Dana friend. Gould. I did a really good one with Stephen Tobolowski. Yeah, I wanted to ask uh, one of America's that. greatest comedic comic actors. You guys know who he is, right? He was no, Ned Ryerson in Groundhog's Day. You know him. He's, uh, he was on the hit show, Mr. Rhodes. Yeah, he was my principal on my show. Also, he was just on the latest. He's been in 100,000 movies. He was in the last season of Californication. Yes. He was great in there. You got to see his ass. <laughs> Guy is a brilliant comedic actor. No, he's amazing. And uh, and we had a great conversation. He was saying, you know, people ask him when did he become a comedic actor. He said when he lost his hair. When he was like 24, he went bald, and it was like the greatest thing that ever happened to his career. Really interesting. Hey, at least smart. We got something his, to look forward his, to. Around here. His, his podcast is one of my favorite. The Stephen Tobolowsky file. So when you Dude, stop yeah, here we this go. one here and start goes. listening to mine, <laughs> wow. you should stop mine and go listen to Stephen Tobolowsky. <laughs> <laughs> Dana Gould got one too. Dana you want to plug? Dana got a podcast. <laughs> um, Why don't we just all plug them into one? Well, we just all we just we'll only communicate through podcasts someday. It'll just be one big podcast. Um, so you, uh, uh, I wanted to ask you, you. You brought up Mr. Rose. We're going to jump around. First of all, hair. Uh, you're, you're sporting the, sh- the short hair these days. You and I, for, I don't know if you remember this, when we first worked together, it was in Chicago. Um, you were working Zanies, and I came to do my first guest set for Zanies. I was a, a funny firm guy. Zanies! That's right. It you got to say it like that. Zanies! Woo! Hey, is Bert Haas, is that, did you get him on your podcast? Bert Haas was on there, yeah. Bert's is is that the same guy, Bert Haas, from the That's from the guy Zanies? that runs Zanies, yeah. yeah I've, I've been playing there for years. He's a very in, uh, intelligent comedy mind, and I... 
you know, he, uh, right. <laughs> this is how intelligent I like he was. his opinion. Well, I was doing my, um, I was, uh, I told this on the last podcast, but I was, uh, there was like a tryout for like somebody like Aspen or something came to Chicago and I did a, a audition for them and out of 200 comics, I was one of the top 10 to come back that night and Bert Haas was one of the judges and walked out in the, middle, <laughs> in the middle of my like five minute set or whatever like that. He just got up and just walked right out. And I remember turning to him like, hey, where are you going, Bert? You got somewhere to be? And uh, knowing I'd never wind up working that club again. But Bert and I have always been cool to each other. I just never worked Zanies, except for when I worked with you. Mm. Um, check this out. He had me go in and you were working with a guy who the middle act was this dude who ran a club in the suburbs. We used to lovingly call it B- Barrel of Bigots. And it was this guy that it was, a, it was on the south side. How did I get that name? Well, it's because it was called Barrel of Laughs, but it was on the south side of Chicago, and it was a lot Where of the like, racist humor and shit like that. Bigots like barrels. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Um, and, um, They're easy to stand on and get your opinion out. And, and he was kind of... Like not a good tone for your show. It just you guys didn't fit together because back then you were like you looked like Bon Jovi. You had this hair that was all out to anywhere. I used to tell people yeah, as far as your comedy goes, it was like watching John Bon Jovi on, with Tourette's, and it was because you were all like you know swearing up and uh, and this guy was all clean and weird and really well, that's what you got from no, it. Well, no, you, I, bon knew, I think you were funny. Tourette's. Now, hold you know, on. I, I thought like, it was more of a Jim Morrison meets right. Crazy Horse. No, you had the shaman. Hold on a minute. You dance lived, to the cosmos. You had I that, don't know if you take this as a compliment or not. Not, but I was looking at your website earlier today, and I totally thought you had a Steven Seagal thing going on in your picture. Right now, really? Wow. In, well, in the picture. Well, I think, hold on. The, 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 the John by Joey, I, mean, I can't be the first person to say that, because back then, you, you looked are... like a sex symbol. Like, like that kind of, I would kill to have that. So I, you guys are both saying that I look like two separate symbols of mediocrity. No! What would you say? <laughs> No, no, that's not true. You actually look like three. There's also let's, uh, uh, let's throw the Baltimore Oriole. Uh. Yeah, I was gonna. Say. Don't forget about uh, you know who was the latest uh, American Idol winner. Um, no, so uh, who was the third? No one so knows this. It was a what? Nobody knows that. Was, I was I was I was trying to riff there, Tom. That's all I was doing. You know, um, there is no third. <laughs> so so I so check this out. So they had me uh, open for to do my guest set on a Tuesday in front of Tom. Tommy used to work on the docks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. Now we got to pay for that. Uh, so um, so we. Uh, uh, is it Tommy or is, it, is that the line? Living on a prayer. Oh, no, yeah, now we really have to pay yeah. for it. I'll, I'll call the publishing house. <laughs> so we, uh, if you're mocking it, you don't have to. Anyway, Parody, uh, you don't have to pay Tommy. royalties. It was Tommy? Really? Tommy, Tommy used to work on the docks? Yeah, yeah. It's Tommy used to work on the docks. Wow. Um, so I got... Uh, I'm never going to finish the story. I don't even give a shit anymore. What okay, so we're, no, no, this guy no, so no, but they actually brought me back to do... Uh, Friday and Saturday night, trying to get me to do like aud- like auditions the whole weekend, knowing that like our our acts went better together than this guy's act, and so I wound up working with you, but I didn't do Friday. I was like, fuck this. But I did the Saturday shows. I did I did three shows with you on Saturday, night, and we I watched every one of your shows. I really I really uh, really got into it. I really started watching your stuff everywhere. You did this thing, if I remember correctly. Um, didn't you do some special in? Vietnam shortly after that, or Viva Vietnam? Is that what it was? It was yeah, for, for Comedy were, Central. Yeah, you were like the first hour travel breakout, a comedy show, right? The uh, I was the first development deal that Comedy Central ever signed, and that led to I could do anything I wanted because uh, I had filmed a bunch of stuff for them that was wildly popular, 
And Vietnam had just opened up for Americans to travel there. Well, 94. I think it came on in 95. Uh, and my father had fought in Vietnam. He was a helicopter pilot. He got shot down. And I wanted to go there and have fun for the guys who didn't get to have a good time. Because it had just opened up for Americans to go there. And I set up a, a, a slip and slide on China <laughs> Beach. The world's most dangerous place to set up a slip and slide. I, uh, I did the Jane Fonda workout tape in Hanoi with these. <laughs> remember Hanoi Jane? She went That's to. That's right, yeah. You guys know what she's talking about? She upset all these um, so. she got up Vietnam vets. Yeah. She went during the war. She went there and um, got her picture taken on a howitzer or some shit. And Vietnam veterans hate her. So um, I did the Jane Fonda workout tape, and there was a lot of funny things. Yeah, I, I mean, brought Rock'em Sock'em Robots. I fought people wherever I went. Yeah, I saw the special. I, I, it's, it's been a while, but I remember really enjoying it. And, and you were definitely on my radar then uh, as far as, as comedy goes. And, uh, and I was, it was great that we got to work together the one time. And then, um, obviously, you, you've gone on to just amazing success uh, all over the globe. You were talking about traveling to Vietnam. You've uh, really carved out a niche for yourself uh, across, the, uh, across the pond. Like, uh, um, tell us a little bit about this Kevin Masters uh, show that you do was that like I was told a couple things. I was told that you changed your name to Kevin Masters, mm. and I, as like some sort of like, oh, he's not supposed to be. He doesn't have his work permit correct or whatever. Ha. Then, but you know, and I, I thought that was total bullshit when I heard it. But uh, you did a talk show over in Amsterdam, right? Is that mm-hmm. um, what was the the gist of that? It was it was a, was it like a, a daily talk show? Was it week? No, it was on once a week. This. Um network in the Netherlands was looking for an American to host a late night talk show, an American style late night talk show like David Letterman, uh, the tonight show. And I had moved over there for this girl and we had just broken up and I was just about to leave and move back to the United States. And I had fallen completely in love with Holland. I really didn't want to leave. And these people saw me in a comedy club. They were, they had an audition. They were looking for talent and they said, we like this guy. This is this is our choice. Unfortunately, the network had bought the idea from a um, uh, you know production people okay. who had came up with this concept, and we'll get an American, and we'll do an American show, and we'll call him Kevin Masters. They thought that was the most flashy-sounding <laughs> American name, like a real showbiz American kind of name, uh, and they named the guy before they found the guy. And I was the guy they found, and I think Tom Rhodes is pretty flashy. <laughs> and I've been, you know, working on establishing my name for my, you know, whole career. And I, you know, I, 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 I fought it as hard as I could. They, they said, we'll get another guy. I was like, well, okay, I'll live with it. And um, every interview for newspapers and magazines that I did, they all ask, why is it called Kevin Masters? And I would say, I don't know. I I don't know why it is. And I, uh, whenever anybody would call me Kevin, I would say, my name's Tom. And uh, it confused a lot of people. And well, that's yeah, I why. Was actually, and, oh. and so, like, magazines and newspapers, people that wrote about it kind of, you know, made fun of the, why can't the guy be Tom Rhodes? So that's why the second season onward, it was Kevin Masters starring Tom Rhodes. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes a lot more sense. But you were, but you, <laughs> right, why couldn't it have just been the Tom Rich? But you were playing a character. You were yourself. I right? was just being myself. So yeah. you were the Anaheim Angels 
of, of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Well, but it's interesting. Like, I had the sitcom, and I played Tom Rhodes, but they, I, I didn't get to be myself. They, uh, it was this, you know, they, this character that was written for me. And then I finally get the freedom to be myself, and I have to use a different name. It was weird. Yeah, because I was over there. Uh, I was in England or somewhere during that time, and I remember hearing about the Kevin Masters show, and never, like, I, I came all the way back home, and then finally somebody told me that was you. I was like, are you kidding me? It was like, it, I, I, like, it just blew my mind. Cause I, and then that's why, like, I had heard the story, like, oh, he, it was like an alias for some other reason, and then, it, and I don't know. I just wanted to get the truth out of you. And, uh, but so you, you did the show. It was quite popular, right? I mean, it was a... It was, it was okay. The, the um, you know it's a small country, right, right? And they've only got like four channels, like we used to have in the old days. I mean, they got cable channels, but then you got English, uh, BBC, one through four, and you know, channel from France, channel from Italy. So I'm assuming uh, that, but the, the 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 Dutch channels are like we were in the old days. There's only like three I think or four of them. The uh, Dutch people speak English almost with an American accent, and it's. Uh, Largely in part of all the uh, uh, American TV they watch. You know, they they only have a couple channels. They watch a whole. Uh, well, a it, it, it's almost TV. like a choice that they make because they all, most all of them speak English. You'd have to go out mm-hmm. to the countryside to find an old person who didn't speak uh, any English, and it's whatever culture they're into because they also get all the British television shows. So you'll meet people over there who's like, who sound perfectly American. I'll go like, where are you from in America? Like, oh, I'm Dutch. My God, you sound like you could be from the United States. Then you meet someone else, and you're like, "Where, where in England are you from?" Because they speak with a. It's you know, it's their choice to go either then go you hear one way or the say other. Jag off, and you're like, "Are you from Chicago?" It's like, no, Rotterdam. <laughs> um, so, did you get a chance? Like, I'm assuming because it's such a, a like a small uh, a country that when people came through for press junkets or whatever you got kind of yeah like steve-o uh when the uh, what i think it was the second jackass, uh, jackass movie. movie or i don't remember the if it was the first one he came on it had to have been the second one uh he was over he came on and uh he liked that there was no censorship on dutch television he comes out smoking a joint huh. and then while he was on he said you want to see what i couldn't do on the movie and everybody's yeah 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 who, whose dick do I have to suck to get a stapler around here? And then on the show, it, it, the, someone brings a stapler, but it actually took like 10 minutes for someone to go find a stapler. <laughs> you know, the miracle of television editing. Uh, boom, here's a stapler. <laughs> he stapled his nutsack to his leg. He <laughs> spread out his nutsack like it was silly putty on his... Th- he dropped his pants, and you could see his package, and you know, Dutch television, they can show that. Uh, he, and he, he smears his nutsack out like it's silly putty on his on his th- inner thigh, and he jammed a stapler gun. And oh the first God. one didn't work, and then he did the second one, and it went through, and his nutsack sticking to his leg. <laughs> and um, I put that, I put some of my favorite clips from the the show on YouTube. Oh, it's okay. And that was up, and that had I don't know like twenty thousand hits or something. And then I got a warning from YouTube. YouTube. They took it down, and they said there was nudity. I had to have a six-month fine. Steve O's nutsack isn't nudity. <laughs> Everyone's seen that. <laughs> yeah. They- uh, another time, um, I, I got I did a nice segment with um, Tenacious D, Jack Black. Oh right, right. 
And that's on YouTube. That's a really good one. We went around Amsterdam. So did this give you access to like like come some big huge stars and like, not yeah I mean you know uh, is not, that like uh, a place people go to promote movies not really and, no no did you uh, what was the focus of the show did you have guests on every week or did you were you doing comedy bits? Just standard late night talk show I'd come out and do a five monologue. minute monologue and it was great I grew up watching Johnny Carson to be the That's guy awesome. coming from behind the velvet curtain and getting to you know in the in the two thousand dollar three thousand dollar suit. Getting to stand on the X and do a monologue—that's oh, awesome. It was fantastic. Did, did you have to tailor your jokes to a Dutch audience? You have to tailor your jokes to any audience. Um, I tried like- to stay whatever was topical. Um, I mean, I, I would do Dutch jokes and then like current events jokes. Uh, lots of it was. We went on beginning of January two thousand and two, so it was only a few months after September eleventh. So. Things were very much. Um, people were worried about the Iraq War and what was going down. No, I know. I've known you uh, grow. I know I've seen you grow as uh, a political comic as well. Like you've really taken it upon yourself to to kind of uh, um, explore that area. Now, was this something you were able to do at your television show, or was this? I mean, I how. Like, did they have control of you, like, the way that they would hear? Like, you can't express an opinion or, you know what I mean? No, I mean, we, you know, it, it, it's, it's, they're, like, such a bleeding heart country. It's right. like San Francisco times a thousand, which is why I fell in love with the place in the first right. place. Um, and, you know, I'm against war and violence. And, uh, you know, we did skits, like, they did something of Saddam Hussein. A guy was in a Saddam Hussein mask and another guy was in a George Bush mask. And they had, like, pies whose face would you rather push a uh, smash a pie into and everybody's and this is was in this square in Amsterdam Leidse square which is one of the you know popular gathering areas and people everybody's jamming pies into George Bush's face but like some of them were like really hard and it, the woman who came up with the skit uh Hilda it was her her dad and her brother had volunteered oh no to like, and you know, geez. So we wound up with a broken nose. Yeah, I think it was the brother was in the George Bush mask, and he's getting pounded. Uh, so you did. Remotes. So we did silly stuff. Yeah, you did remotes too, which is cool. Then that's pretty cool. Um, what? Uh, how long? You lasted two seasons. Did it go past the second? Uh, it actually went like three seasons, but it lasted a total of t- two years. So they do a shortened season. Is they do little shortened seasons. Oh, that's cool. So I think like. Three seasons, uh, three packages of twelve. Were you doing stand up out there? I know you went out there for a girl, but were you- yeah, I'd have time off every couple of weeks. I was going back and forth to London a lot, doing gigs around Europe. You find it easy to play out there? I mean, was that a difficult transition? I mean, it's it's tough for some comics to make that that move from American audiences to you know performing for other cultures. Did you start with? Well, like, like Aaron festivals? was saying, that you know you get you get people have American culture mm-hmm. on their television. You meet people in Europe that are more knowledgeable about certain things about American culture. There was a guy that worked on my show. He was, uh, he was one of the producers also. He knew more about the American government system. He had studied it at university. So like our electoral college and the election process and you know the powers of the Senate versus Congress, more than your average person would know. Um, my... Musical sidekick on the show, my little Paul Schaefer, was E-Life, Holland's 
highest selling hip hop recording artist. You know, he knows American His name rap. E Life. E Life. Wow. Yeah. It, it, it was there. When you meet people there, they just know all kinds of sub genres and movies and TVs. What, what's and, a tape to be, take to be a lot of people with selling? an open mind, further open mind than you might find in the south side of Chicago. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you'd find E-Life at the uh, Barrel of Bigots. <laughs> but, uh, so, um, were you touring all through? What the fuck is going on outside? Sound of a helicopter. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we had a gunshot just once. Just to let everybody gun, yeah, know what gun, part of Los Angeles we're in. We had a gunshot once when we started the podcast. Really? Within, like, the first minute. We were talking to Rich Seisler, I think. You know Rich? Uh-uh. He's comic from Boston. And... Uh, and all of a sudden, you that this. may or may not have been a gunshot. Of course, says the says the owner of the house. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't let my property values drop. <laughs> so, um, when did you start doing stand up comedy? Nineteen eighty four. It was in Florida, right? Yeah. And, uh, How old were you? Seventeen. Holy shit! That young? Mm-hmm. Were you even allowed in the clubs? Fake ID. Fake ID to do stand up comedy. That's awesome. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> wow. For, at seven, 17 in 1984? So did, did you have material lined up, or did you just like walk in? Uh, yeah, no, the first few years I was hey, still... homework's weird, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I was in this adult nightclub world, so, you know, you only talk about what you know. I mean, I, I did a lot of jokes about trying to get laid on dates, which is all I knew. And my big closer back then when I started was, uh, you know, I was, I'm on a date with this girl, and my dad's Chrysler LeBaron. And we're parked and we're making out. And I made my big move and I unbuttoned her, her, uh, her top, her pants. And she grabs my wrist and she pushes my hand away. And she goes, if I do anything with you, what's it going to mean? <laughs> and I said, well, for you, a ride home. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great joke for that was, hey, that hey. was you. Oh, wow. <clears throat> So uh, I had a strong closer, even as a youngster. <laughs> so then, you did you did you start working regularly? Is that something, or was that just the open, did you do the open mic circuit for a while? Well, I mean, I, I started in eleventh grade, and so I just stopped going to football games and some of the dances. Um, you know, I had done all the talent shows, and I hosted the uh, I did the morning and afternoon announcements at my school. Oh, I was ready for showbiz, oh, baby, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, um, it was a weekend thing. They didn't have traveling comedians that came in yet. It was a really earnest local scene. And, and the comedians that would do comedian, skit, comedian, skit, comedian, skit. And so they would have a rehearsal on Monday nights where everybody was encouraged to bring in like a little skit that they had wrote. And we didn't do commercial parodies or whatever. And I thought there was a real genuine um, earnestness of Let's put on a show. Oh, absolutely. A little rascal style. <laughs> yeah, and you know, so you do your stand-up set, and then you're in like two skits later in the evening. And um, it, was, it, was, it was pretty cool because we didn't know how it was supposed to be done. You know, we did whatever we wanted to do. That's awesome. And um, did you, did, so you do... And then one of the first comedians I ever saw, one of the road guys, first road guy I ever saw, was Rich Hall. Oh, good friend of ours. And he came in, and he did a lot of props, and he had this tricycle, and it had a car door welded onto it, and he'd ride in on the tricycle, and he'd just lean out the window of the car door. That was his opening. He'd start talking to the people. It was great. 
he had these props. It was it was a, a rich hall like you've never seen. Yeah, he uh, he started with props, and I remember one time, the first time I worked with him, he had to like he flew in and he did like a whole routine about like. Uh, uh, detergents or something like that, and I remember just giving him a whole bunch of shit about it. like, well, let's go because he he's like he was telling me he, had, he doesn't travel with them. I'm like, all right, well, let's go to the store and buy your act, and he's like, all right, fuck off, you know. And uh, but uh, Rich is one of the few guys that I, I'm not a big prop comic guy, but Rich is really one of the few guys that just always was great. Like I remember that routine, like you said, like um, do you remember when you did the plexiglass stuff too, along with that, where it's like you know he would just have different pieces of plexiglass, different sizes, you know, you know, and he would. You know, he'd pretend one was a car door, like one was the front of the windshield, or you know, he'd have like, um, I'm not doing it justice, but it was very funny. And he used to, and it was, I remember watching that as a child. It's one of my first comedy experiences is seeing him do that, like on HBO or whatever, and thinking, oh wow, cool. And it is funny that years later, I got to know him and 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 become friends with him. And you know, it is it is weird when you meet people that you know, wow, shit, this is one of the reasons I do comedy is this guy or whatever. And uh, um. You and I, speaking of which, let's talk about this. Um, we played in Rich's uh, uh, baseball game, his uh, softball I'm game. I'm so glad you brought that up. I took yeah, a I month knew, off. I knew this was going to happen. He's going to uh, talk about well, it. You went, you, we both went to Rich Hall's wedding. Yeah, we both went to Rich Hall's wedding. He lives in uh, Livingston, and then he's got a, a ranch 10 miles outside of Livingston, and he's got a big uh, baseball field set up in his backyard. What uh, he does is every year he cuts out. A, he's got a huge ranch, and he cuts out with a, a mower. I actually helped him the first year that he did it. And you, he cuts out an entire baseball field out of the ranch and invites all the neighbors to come, and they usually play. Um, uh, it's, it, it's like a mile between... Montanans the, versus yeah, non-Montanans. Yeah, Montanans versus non-Montanans. And um, when the year that I played with Tom, I, uh, uh, I was the coach, I think, right? I was the player coach. Uh, Tom went five for five or something like that, right? Am I right about that? I'm deadly with stick. I know. I knew you were. I knew you wanted to bring it up because uh, every time I run into him, he's like, "Yeah, who's got a higher batting average?" Because I went four for five or something like that. And he wouldn't let me live it down the rest of the day. And uh, but yeah, it was a great time. We had a, a blast, and it's just amazing to be up there in Montana against that skyline, and you're just having fun with people who are just. We, it's talk about like you know build something and make a show you know or you know let's do a show it was like hey let's let's have a baseball game and and just there was there was a field there like three days earlier now we're all out there with with uh food and there was an announcer i think but rich does it every year and he has yeah. some guy this some guy who's a writer a novelist who, who drinks a lot he has him narrate, narrate the, thing. the show yeah, yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> but i i'm glad you brought it up because it's always funny like when you play softball or something uh, there's always one guy who really takes it serious and shows up in full uniform and with cleats on and he's out, out there stretching. I wore cleats. And uh, that was, was you. That was I you. Was totally. I wore my baseball gear. He's got his. I wore my baseball his, gear. He's got two uh, batting gloves and, the, and they're, they're hanging out of his back pocket. I was totally. You ready. know when he's out at playing in the field like you know guys did in like the 80s and stuff. Well, the, the batting gloves sticking out of the back pocket. And then... Um, I couldn't find any of the black stuff from under my eyes. You uh, did have the black stuff no, under your eyes. <laughs> yes, you did. You had the black did, did stuff under your eyes. You're out there stretching. You wanted to come up with like secret signals. And <laughs> <laughs> I did take it a little too seriously. But it was like, okay, if I pick an, my nose, I'm not really picking my nose. I, mean, I used to play... I want I, you to I, steal second. All right. When I, the, when, I, when I touch my belt, that means the sign's off. And then uh, when I touch the chest, that means it's back on again. And then... Um, 
Yeah, I, uh, well, you know, I played semi-pro baseball for a while, so I was like, I had my gear, and I never had an opportunity to wear it after that. So it was like, it was like perfect. It was the Davenport Red Barons. It was the uh, Winamac Electrons. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, we went uh, the first year. We went two and sixteen or something like that. And I remember thinking we kept saying to ourselves, if we can win two games. We all get to go to medieval times, and so we won the, the medieval times pennant in our in our mind. I hear now that the, the did you teams all live really on well. Winnemac? Uh, no, it was uh, oh you know Chicago. So no, it was we played at the Winnemac uh, Park. Uh, that was our home field, and then we traveled. I guess the Waukegan Protons were really yeah. deadly that year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were. They were quite the. Uh, they were quite the. Uh, <laughs> the Kankakee Kinetic yeah. Energies. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. We don't even want to talk about them. <laughs> the static, yeah, the static electricity. Uh, least, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, I did take it a little bit serious, but uh, it was a good time. And I met your, uh, I met your wife, beautiful, beautiful lady. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you guys, where where do you live now? What's uh, these shoes? I just travel do all you? the time because I know that you're always somewhere. You're always like bouncing around and. Um, uh, do you do you get to go across? Do you, do you spend more time in the? Uh, do you want to take a break and smoke a cigarette, and we'll? Um, can we? Is that what you want to do? Can we? Or you want to? Yeah. No, you sure you we can, can take a break and smoke a cigarette. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I just thought to give you another chance to uh, come in with a little tighter question than this. Well, I'm, I'm this, trying this, to figure this, out this uh, really scattered ramble that you're on right now. Well, I'm kind <laughs> of on tilt here now that I'm thinking about my baseball uniform. He's like, oh my god! I you what, called me out. I don't. I don't, I don't smoke. I don't smoke cigarettes, but maybe I'll go put my baseball uniform on and do the rest of the podcast <laughs> in my uniform. Um, but uh, yeah, if you want to take a break, sure, we can take a break. Do you need to take it? You it's okay, have- Sparky. We can keep this rolling. Sparky. Little <laughs> um, <laughs> pet names. Um, uh, I don't even know where I was. Did let's smoke you- a cigarette. Let's smoke a cigarette. Um, pause. Pause. Pause it. Travel. So we're back um, with Tom Rhodes. He's had his cigarette, and we've got some more coffee. And uh, the beauty of editing. The beauty of that. Yeah. Exactly. Can you edit that in? staple? Just appeared instantly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At this Call point, I'm, maybe we can get Edgar to uh, staple his nuts to his... Uh... Wait, hang on, hang on. What are you doing? Oh, my God. That's where he keeps his staplers. Where's he going? What's he doing? Ladies and gentlemen, Aaron Glass. Has oh, he brought the stapler out. There you go. Um, so, Tommy, uh, uh, you, you do acting as well. So you, you, I haven't start... acted in anything in a very long time. Well, that's such... You were in Herald. Uh, oh, yeah. We uh, we interviewed Tishan actually for the for the podcast. It was a lot of fun, and uh, you played a car dealership, right? Guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a lot I of played fun. a Jaguar salesman. <laughs> and uh, Harold is the cute story of a little twelve-year-old boy who has um, premature baldness, <laughs> and so he's he's twelve and he's panicking because he's totally going bald. And so somebody tells him, you know, at the beginning of the film, he tries everything. You know, he does the comb over, he tries the spray can. And then somebody tells him, most men, when they go bald, they buy a sports car. And then you cut to the Jaguar dealership, <laughs> and he's standing there looking at a car, at a Jaguar, and I walk up and go, what's it going to take to put you in this car today? <laughs> My one line. But it was actually at a Jaguar dealership on Long Island somewhere. Oh, really? Yeah, we like you just walked took in the there. train. Well, they had it all, movie equipment That's set up. awesome. Uh, what's his name? Cuba Gooding Jr. is in that film. Uh, yeah, he... Uh did, did you know Tishon, or did you have to audition for that? Oh, no. Old friends with Tishon. I met him at Yankee Stadium. You met him at Yankee Stadium? He's a long time ago. We were 
Who introduced us? Um, I forget, but we met at the baseball game. Oh, wow. And I'm a baseball fan. He's a baseball fan. And we went and saw the Yankees play somebody, and we were way up on the upper deck, and we thought uh, – it, it was like a, some – I forget who they were playing, but it wasn't that full, and it was like during the week or something. And so we, we walked even further up to the top of Yankee Stadium on like the upper decks because we were already on one of the upper deck levels, and we went way up as high as you could go. And somebody had a joint, and we like were passing it around, and you could see this security guard way down at the bottom, looking up at us, and then he starts with this long climb up the steps, and we're just looking at him passing this joint back and forth, and by the time he got up to us, it was gone. It's gone. <laughs> That's hilarious. He gets up there and he's like, "Okay, don't do that again." <laughs> like seriously, you're gonna kill me if you do it again. <laughs> So uh, that's when I met him. Um, but you and did. he said you would be a great Jaguar salesman one day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you also obviously uh, had one of the biggest uh, development deals back uh, when comics were, uh, um, you know, like exploding upon, you know, getting their own series. We talked about Mr. Rhodes a little bit. What um, did you have to? What was that all about? Did they package that? Did you have to audition for that? I mean, it's already called Mr. Rhodes. <laughs> um, I had I was kind of the boy for Comedy Central for a few years. I could film whatever I wanted, and then uh, you know I did these little. They filmed these jokes of mine like they were rock videos. Mm-hmm. I remember, uh, and and that's where I the, the first set was in a jail, and that's where I first got noticed. And then Comedy Central started let me do all this stuff. I covered the Super Bowl for them and. The Dream Team basketball thing. I did. I went on tour with the Horde Festival. Oh wow! And they gave me this development deal uh, to do whatever I wanted, and that was Viva Vietnam. And that kind of got a little critical um, notice. Yeah. So I did Montreal Festival shortly thereafter, and NBC discovered me there and gave me a development deal, and that led to then it was like. Whatever, however, like less than a year in development, and we made the pilot. Wow! And it got picked up. Did you do any writing on it, or was it um, the pilot episode? They took four of my jokes from my act and put them in uh, the the pilot, and so everybody was, loved the pilot. So it was like based on the humor of Tom, like Tom Rhodes. Sort of. of. I mean, originally I wanted to be a public defender lawyer. Representing the dregs of society, the the the, the voice of the voiceless, <laughs> and uh, somewhere in in the development, they were like, you know, we just had a lawyer show fail. Can you make Tom a teacher? In retrospect, I should have stuck with my guns. And who knew that that same year there would be like five different teacher shows on? Oh yeah. So I it, it, I, I didn't know, but I at the time I thought, oh yeah, sure. I could get my jokes out in the class. This this could work. Uh, it was NBC. They did all the biggest comedies I liked growing up. And um, no, I remember. I remember the show. I remember like uh, it being, you know, certainly in the. Uh, oh, but as far as the writing, of- I would, to answer your question, then once it became a series, I never got another joke in ever. And I would go bring jokes, and they well, we got this handled, and then they didn't. It, it, at first. You know, it was Dead Poet Society. I was the long hair rebel school teacher, you know, instilling the revolution into these little rich kids. And it started out pretty good. The, the pilot, everybody liked. And then episode two, 
I bring Charles Bukowski to the school, uh, my favorite writer, because I played a guy who had, I played a guy who had written a book, one book that was it, and then I moved back to my hometown and become an English teacher. So my favorite writer was Charles Bukowski, and I bring him on. The character's name was Buck Pulaski, but it was supposed to be Charles Bukowski, played by Brian Doyle Murray. And it's Charles Bukowski. He, you know, he vomits. He's flirting with the girls. I get in trouble. Episode number three, I accidentally had sex with a student's mother uh, <laughs> the, uh, on the, the weekend tripping? before parent-teachers conference. Uh, and it was Wendy Malick. Oh, wow. Uh, and so, like, those were adult themes. And then somewhere around episode four or f- something like that, they, somebody made the decision, let's focus on the kids. Oh. And then I was, like, the second banana on my own show. And, and then they the wouldn't belt. let me say smart-alecky things. They were like, our test market audience don't like when you make wise-ass remarks. And then I'm I was like, hanging with Mr. Cooper. Basically, <laughs> I'm just hanging with Mr. Rhodes. <laughs> so, is this something? Uh, are you? Do you have the acting bug still? Do you just, like? You wait. Do you oh yeah, I can't wait to rush into a situation where I have no control again. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I meant like you know what I mean. Now with the you know the, with all the other avenues there are out there, say like uh, um, you know web series things like that. Are you you know? There's I know you're the kind of the guy that likes to con- you know obviously control your own. Um, you know, I'd love to be in, like, you know, yeah. T-Sean, I mean, it's, yeah. we're friends, I've been, he's one of my oldest friends, I'd, I'd love to be in projects of, of friends of mine, I'd love to do some more acting. Um, and, uh, hey, John, didn't you write a script that has a role perfect for him? I, I, I may have. Uh, no, can I tell you what happened to me about this script just today? It's in Oh, yeah, at, please. At CAA. And, uh, tell us they, how you're dealing with some of the same possible oh, frus- frustrations. Exactly. So <laughs> they, go, they call up and they're like, um, uh, it was the assistant to the VP's packaging this deal at CAA. And he's like, uh, she calls up and she, yesterday she's like, hey, uh, John. And I see like his office is calling, so I'm getting all nervous because you know, it's that thing we don't hear from people for weeks. Right? Right. And so he calls up and he's like, she goes, Hey, John, it's Alicia. I'm like, oh, hey. And she goes, I don't have Tony. <laughs> I'm like, so why did you call? <laughs> and she's like, he just wanted you to know that he's going to call you first thing in the morning. Oh, what's it about? Well, he's going to call you first thing in the morning. Okay, what's the first thing for him? About 9 o'clock. I still haven't heard from him. <laughs> it's like that thing all day long. I'm just sitting there like, what the fuck? It's 3 o'clock. It's 4 o'clock. Yeah, all day you're watching your phone. Yeah, I'm looking then you're, like, then you're is there something it, wrong? Like, oh, yeah. Did, did I forget to pay wrong? my bill? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so it's just that thing, you know. Um, enough about me. Uh, I believe there's a Ford dealer in your script that he would be perfect for. A four. No, I'm trying to move away from the car salesman <laughs> part. <laughs> so uh, I'll do anything. This uh, you've got a double album, right? Out, uh, Colossus of Me. Colossus of Me. Well, how long ago is that, was that released? Uh, it came out like uh, April, May. So is this one of those situations where you put out the album? Do you stop doing all the material on the album? Or? That's what I'm going to try and do. Yeah, Holy shit. I, and I just also did an hour special um, called Light Sweet Crude. Um, Where's that gonna? That's gonna that's gonna be running on Netflix. Oh, cool! I think it's on there now. Wow! But um, yeah. yeah, I have to totally uh, uh, come up with a whole new hour now. Is that scary? Do you do it like? Does it scare you to do? No, that? I mean it's yes, it's daunting, and that's too bad. You can't relax after you have an accomplishment. But I mean, you know, it beats heavy lifting. 
Not sure. And, you know, it's what bands go through forever, yeah, what, you know? I just was about to ask, once you have a release like that, then do you tour to support it? What do you do to support your, your release? I'm not as massive as some other guys that can, like English guys do that. They'll do an hour and they'll tour it, and then they record it, and then they release it. Um, I mean, it's... it's. But it, as far as after your release, uh, or it, as part of promoting your release... Do you go out and do more shows or less shows? Or, or you like well, your podcast or you, or you, or you right now is the back. first time I've promoted it. Oh. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, we're gonna see a spike. No, in I mean those I'm numbers. touring. I'm I'm always on the road, and um, yeah, I mean it's I it, I still have. Well, I think I think what Aaron's getting at is: Do you tend to throw? I mean, you're thinking people have heard the yeah, material. Here, here's my. Th- thinking because i i work with musicians all the time and if you're a band and you record uh, an album then as soon as it is released you you've got there. you've got a year or years worth of touring lined up where okay we released it now we're gonna hit uh, all of our major markets we're gonna make sure our record is in the store at the same time that we're in the city uh time up all this bullshit uh is there anything that plus the content plus the content of the show is uh, the album, like there's a lot of right. like you have a new song that you recorded. Now you're going to play that new song live. Uh, is there any what? What's the comparison and, and contrast? In, in, uh, it's uh, not like that at all. Okay. Um, because I don't have a big label behind me, and I put it out myself. And my first, this is my third CD. The first one came out in uh, 2000. The second one came out in 2006, and this one came out in 2012. So obviously, I need six years to come up with a whole new act. So Shouldn't have released that double one. Six, year, six, years, six years from now, you should be seeing my next piece of work. But yeah, I mean, it does get... You find that... Um, well, six years ago, there wasn't as much... Uh, comedy on the internet as there is now where like people right. can actually see your show like people think like oh, okay tom Rhodes, i'm gonna go see him at the improv let me let me look him up let me check out what he's all about and you know you got to be be careful your stuff's out there it's like you know one of those things where you know you do have to kind of stay fresh and 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 new well but one i tell you one nice thing that and then the all of entertainment has changed and one nice thing about it the one similarity with music now is that there are a lot of outlets to play comedy, uh, you know, serious uh, with the with the comedy channel, mm-hmm. right? And, I would uh, I would never want listen to comedy or like I've, I've watched Chris Rock specials, but that's I don't I don't get far. Or I would go see a comedy show, but I would never listen to com- comedy radio before Sirius or XM. Now it's it's so convenient uh, when I'm in. Uh, a rental car or my car that's kind of serious is like oh there's a uh, that's funny and it, it's so uh accessible that you're right that it is reaching people like me that don't seek out comedy and it's there and uh there the, the, a lot of people love it i i you know i like listening to it sometimes um and then also there's 24 7 comedy radio which is actually uh, in radio stations, there's like 16 of them around the country. They're in Dallas, Austin, Portland, El Paso. They're like in all these different markets. And so you got SoundScan, this this co- company, I think it's run by the government or something, that monitors these <laughs> plays. Mm-hmm. And so you get royalties 
so it's nice every like three, six months, I'll get a surprise check in the mail. And then they'll have the breakdown of the tracks. It'll say song title, but it's the track titles. So it's like the uh-huh. jokes are like songs now where you get paid for, you know, it's not, it's not a ton of money, but it's, it's, it's uh, you know, a few hundred bucks. That's a nice surprise to get in the mail. And, and so that, in that way, it's kind of become a little more like music. Okay. And that situation could probably, you know. And that's great. I mean, the, yeah. the, you know, I, I, my third one, I just put it out. I don't, I don't even think they're the last um, residual check I got with the breakdown. The new CD's not even being played yet. It's just my first two. Oh, that's cool. That are still being played a lot, which, um, I mean, even if you, Bob Marley, the comedian Bob Marley, uh, he was in L.A. for years, but he's from Maine. He moved back there. I heard he doesn't even, like, tour anymore. He just, like, he'll record at this club in Maine and then send it directly to Sirius oh, XM. Wow. And then, you know, get his cuts off the topics. Did you, uh, did you record the album in, over the course of one night, a couple nights? Or? Well, uh, and it's the reason it's a double CD is I had recorded at the Ice House in Pasadena. Okay. Uh, last year, I guess, January. And it was such a great set. It's like 57 minutes, 58, uh, you know, just slaughtering. And I thought, that's it. That's my new CD. And then three months later, I was in Sydney, Australia, playing at the Comedy Store. And that's a monster club. There was a lot of international people there. So like Germans and uh, Italians, French, uh, you know, English, Australian. I got out all of these travel stories that I have or, or jokes about those countries th- that made it more of an international, uh, you know, thing. Yeah, that's- and it, that show was like an hour, 15 minutes. And I was like, well, I was thinking, which one should I put out now? And then I thought, fuck it. You know, it's only 50 cents more yeah. to, to make it a double. <laughs> Each copy, you know, let's fuck it. Let's make a double. That's awesome. Did, did, um, uh, did, you, did you know ahead of time, like before the first 58, like this is at, at Pasadena? Like you, were you recording every set or were you just like, this is the night? I'm I record it? a lot. Yeah. Uh, I just, I just, I, you know, I'll film my sets a lot. I mean, you know, you need to be like a boxer or, uh, you know, an athlete. You got to review the game footage, yeah. baby. And you, and you watch yourself periodically. You, go, you see, oh, that mannerism looks stupid. And, you know, why am I pausing there? That's, you know, why, why am I, you know, uh, why don't I have a better ending for this joke? Um, and then also I've been obsessed with making travel videos for YouTube, uh, playing around the world. And that's led to this idea that I have for a television show about I want to make a comedy travel show the way Anthony Bourdain goes around the world checking out food and stuff and meeting chefs I want to do that with comedy and I made a half hour pilot on Malaysia oh, cool. I'm going to start editing uh, an Australia episode soon um, but and that all comes from just recording a lot do you speak any other languages? Uh, nope <laughs> well, I was just curious if you like Taylor. Un bicicleta es verde. Are you asking what time it is? El gato <laughs> es negro. $500 on the Rosetta Stone, ladies and gentlemen. That's what I got. <laughs> the bicycle is green. The cat is black. 
Where is the uh, where's the, your favorite place to perform? London's pretty hot. The Comedy Store, uh, the San Francisco Punchline, I'd say, is one of my favorite clubs uh, ever. Uh, the Atlanta Punchline is another beast. Um, That's close to your home. The, the, right? the Comedy Store in Are Sydney, they where I did the, the with each other, the one in San Francisco and the one in Atlanta. They're not affiliated, and the Comedy Store in London. Los Angeles and Sydney are each owned by three separate people. They are not affiliated. Somebody didn't franchise the names. <laughs> but the Comedy Store in, in, in Sydney is one of my favorite rooms as well. That's a, it's a perfectly designed, oval-shaped stage, nice dimensions. It's beautiful. Now, do you like doing long sets? Is that? I do. I like doing like 45 to an hour every night. And then you can, uh, you know, as the headliner... You got to deliver the goods, but also, you know, you, there's enough time where you can experiment in in the middle, and, and you know, leave yourself pockets to improvise. Is there any place you haven't performed that you really want to? Africa. Never been to Africa. Really? Supposed to be a great comedy festival in South Africa. Did you ever do for the troops? Heard Tunisians are a hoot. Tunisians. Um, <laughs> I've played lots for the troops, but never in Iraq or Afghanistan. I've played for the Army and Air Force in Germany, uh, Italy, Sicily, and um, I've done a lot for the Marines in Japan. Uh, Camp Fuji, right under Fuji Mountain, and I've done Okinawa like three times, two Is that times. Where you guys Okinawa? Osaka. Oh. Osaka and Tokyo I've been to. I've been to Osaka. Osaka's great. The, um, it's the Chicago of Japan, yeah, yeah. you know? Tokyo's the New York, gets all the, <laughs> the thunder and the press. Uh, and I went to Tokyo, the first time I ever went to Japan to perform, not for troops, for expatriates. Uh, and so whenever I've gone to Japan, I've always, I'll try and take a side trip. It's because, uh, you know, slowly, systematically see all of Japan. Uh-huh. And it's so expensive. So, like, the last trip I went over, um, I took a side trip and went to Osaka for three days before. There's uh, a story I had read in the newspaper. It's the International Herald, which is the New York Times and Washington Post combined. It comes out in Europe. And I read a story that made me cry. And it was all about the Hanshin Tigers. It's the baseball team of Osaka. And they are supposed to be... They're like the Boston Red Sox. Well, before Boston finally won. Um, they're like, they, they have the oldest stadium in the Japanese league, built in 1934. Babe Ruth played there in 1936 on an exhibition tour. There was a player on that team that took pictures. The government gave him a camera. I think uh, Rube Goldberg or somebody like that took pictures all over Tokyo Tokyo and Osaka and Japan when they were traveling around, and that's our aerial bombing where they used uh, his photos photos to help the knowledge. But so they have the oldest stadium, and they have cheerleaders in front of the sections, the Henshin Tigers, that do these hand signals. And the audience knows by the different hand signals whether to clap, sing, or hum, or stomp their feet. And it goes on throughout the game, and the whole... Stadium is like one huge human organ. So I wanted to go to Osaka and see this baseball game, to see them play, because I had read the story. So I went there for 
the weekend before I was going to play in Okinawa the last time, and they were playing the Tokyo Giants, their ultimate rivals. I couldn't find tickets online. I figured I'll go out to the stadium, whatever, I'll scalp it. Uh, they don't scalp tickets in Japan. No. They had three games, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, homestand against the Giants, and I took the train out there three nights in a row, and I couldn't get in. I went all the oh. way to Osaka to watch a baseball oh, game, shit. and I couldn't get in. But, you know, I bought a beer from a vendor, and I sat outside, and you could hear it, the, <laughs> you know, the human organ and the cheering, and that was kind of cool, but... With, uh, what's your favorite baseball uh, Let me. Stadium? It's a sad story, oh, I guess. Okay. I didn't realize how how lonely and pathetic that story was until I just I think told it. it. Kind of, I think it shows that your love of baseball, though. That's kind of cool. <laughs> well, here's the interesting thing. They say that the, the, the Hanshin Tigers are cursed. Uh-oh. This is the comparison with the Red Sox. The last time they won the Japanese championship was 1985. And in celebration, the city... There's a river in Osaka. The, the fans threw effigies of each player into the river. <clears throat> there was an American pitcher, Bill Lee, guy had a beard, journeyman ball player, did like 20 years in the major leagues. <clears throat> he was one of their star pitchers. They didn't have an effigy for him, so they went to the local Kentucky Fried Chicken, and they stole the Colonel Sanders statue. <laughs> <laughs> they threw the Colonel Sanders statue into the river. <laughs> the Colonel Sanders statue has never been found. Really? And the curse on the Hanshin Tigers is that until they find that, con- <laughs> that Colonel Sanders statue, they'll never win the championship again. And they've had divers in the river, <laughs> and they still, nobody knows what happened. To That's them. an amazing story. I had no <laughs> idea. <laughs> now you're going to look like a big shot. Are you going out to Japan? Uh, Next month, Osaka and Tokyo. I don't know if I'm, yes. I probably won't get any free time, but uh, you can sound like a big shot though with that story. You got you got a little lore, little local legend. Japan's I, cool. And I like I like going to Japanese grocery stores. I like I like going to grocery stores in different countries. You're the tallest person there. <laughs> no, because this the selection of different exotic food is incredible. Uh, do you, you, you know what they have in Japan? That's uh, one of my favorite snacks to get in the grocery store is women's panties. Women's panties and the fucking that's from a vending machine. You don't get it at the grocery store. You got you brought me back women's <laughs> panties from a fucking vending machine. Great. You wearing them? Yeah, on my yeah. <laughs> I am right now around his neck. Usually like around my face. Instead <laughs> of beef jerky, they have squid jerky. Yeah, I've seen mm. that. In a, little, in a package, it looks like just just like a beef jerky package, only it's white and stringy, and it's squid, salty squid jerky, and it's really tasty. I mean, really? If you if you know that you're about to eat dried salty fish, then you know, it it is an acquired taste, but I think it's pretty good. And you buy it? Where'd you get it? Out of a vending machine? Grocery store. Yeah, grocery store. store. Convenience store. They have. Uh, What's your favorite ramen crap, place a, out here? Do you ever go to ramen downtown in Little Tokyo? Mm-mm. Oh, you did you eat say- a lot of ramen when you were in uh, Japan? Uh, when I lived in San Francisco, I lived near Japan Town. Okay. I ate a lot of ramen at uh, Japan Town in in San Francisco. We have a favorite place in. Uh, I, I, what's the name of it? I can't. Shinsengumi. What'd you call me? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Tem's fighting words. I think. 
Um, you see that in Japan that there's a, uh, in the vending machines. You see it. It's a it's a soft drink over there. It's called Picari Sweat. Oh, I love Picari Sweat. What? Yeah, yeah. 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 Like, and yeah. you think they misspelled it or something? It's Picari yeah. Sweat. Picari yeah. Sweat. Like, I don't know who Picari yeah. is, but his sweat is yeah. delicious. <laughs> That's it what you like, It's like Gatorade. It, it tastes like Gatorade. Oh. Uh, it, it looks um, it's clear but kind of white. It, it's a sports. It's a Japanese sports drink. Picari sweat pulled up. We'll on the put internet. a link to uh, Picari sweat on the podcast website. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> You're going to put a link, really, and then like more people will like that than they will my own fan page. Or... <laughs> oh, God. Picari Sweat took off. <laughs> Forget about Mr. Rose. Forget about the whole acting thing. Forget about the Picari Colossus Sweat. of me. Nobody. <laughs> um, are you, uh, oh, what do you got going on and coming up? Do you have anything uh, exciting? Where are you traveling to? What are you... uh, yeah, I'm going to be in the next uh, Tom Cruise movie. Are you really? Um, then I'm... Um, I'm going to drum for Aerosmith. Are you for, really? That's a lot. That's first half of their next that's tour. Two very um, large things coming up. I've got. I'm going to be on Dancing with the Stars. Dancing with I'm the Stars. To, this uh, is an audience member. I'm going to be on The Apprentice <laughs> with Donald Trump. Are you really? Yeah, I've got a busy Celebrity Apprentice. Busy that's month awesome. coming up. Um, no, I just got like club gigs. Well, what do you? I mean, were you going to San Diego? I know, and then you're like, well, yeah, I'm going to San Diego this weekend, and then uh, uh, then we'll go up for so that you were in San Diego. That went great. I think uh, that was a good. Those were some good shows. And then, uh, are you traveling abroad or what no? You- then the Ice House. No, I'm going to go back. I won't leave the country. Uh, I think October. I'm going to do Seoul, and then Jakarta. And I just got offered a gig for Moscow in really? November. Ooh. I'm going to do Moscow, Paris, and Barcelona in November. When are you guys in Moscow? September eighth. Have you ever performed in I'll Moscow? Be in Chicago? No, never. I can't wait. Wow, uh, is, it, what, is it the same thing? Where like you'd speak English? I've is there a heard translator? That everything or? will be a mess except for your performance. That will be amazing. The travel will be a mess. The accommodations will be a mess. The people guiding you around will, mm. will be a mess. But the but the actual gig will be awesome. If you need that's a translator, I, I will oh, gladly right. offer up my services. Oh, right. Do you speak Russian? Russian? Yeah, I was born there. Oh, you're kidding? Where? I was born in Belarus. Uh, near cool. Minsk. I've been to, I went for, for the Dutch travel show. I did a highlight on St. Petersburg, and I loved it. I didn't do comedy there. I mean, I was like doing a travel mm-hmm. highlight on the city, and it was in the white nights of summer. In the in summer, the sun only oh, goes yeah. down like for like two or three hours. So like two o'clock in the morning, it's still like light out, and people are walking around with sunglasses on. And when's uh, last I, call? <laughs> never there. <laughs> Um, and I, I thought St. Petersburg was just was mind blowing. I loved it, so I can't wait to go to Moscow. So you were there for the the travel show? Is that I was filming for the travel show? Yeah. Now, do you do you do travel writing too? Is that something? The Huffington Post asked me to be a travel writer. Wow, that's great. What is, are you doing it currently? Or what? yeah, I do it whenever I feel like. I think I've done like eight stories so far. Oh, that's great. And I just write about whatever um, strikes my fancy. Uh, I, I got into a fist fight in Ireland on my honeymoon. Jesus. Uh, and broke my hand. Some thugs jumped on a friend of mine. Uh, I, 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 went to, I was in Jakarta right after they killed Osama bin Laden, but I was also there in Indonesia right after September 11th happened. And it's wow. the highest Muslim-populated country in the world. And they said I couldn't leave the hotel room 
the hotel for fear that I would be attacked because these radicals were saying attack Americans and American businesses. And then I, I, go, I go back 10 years later, last year, right after we killed Osama bin Laden, and there was a festival in the street in front of the hotel, and I went out, and these Muslim girls in the hijabs came up and talked to me, and where are you from? And I'm from the United States. Oh, you're, well. You're really hey, pretty we're eyes. in a Beatles club, and we, we get together once a week, and we sing Beatles songs. I'm like, really? My favorite Beatles song is We Can Work It Out. And then we start singing, We Can Work It Out. Oh and then like, we're just, we're, I, I hung out with these, these ladies for like, you know, a half hour oh, wow. singing Beatles songs. So, you know, like 10 years earlier, I, I'm, you know, I'm chewing my nails in the hotel going, God, I hope I can get out of here alive. To 10 years later, completely different place, singing happy Beatles songs. Especially, I love the fact that we can work it out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess that's appropriate. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the last one that went up was about Prince's Hot Chicken in Nashville. And the next one that's going up is about Perth. I went to Perth last year and did this comedy festival. And I have this strange habit when I travel. I like to go to graves of people I admire. Been that's, a, that's on your website, actually. Yeah. And I've uh, been to Oscar Wilde and Jim Morrison, Voltaire, and... Rimbo, Mickey Mantle, Sam Kinison. I've been to a few. Um, I got to put flowers on Bon Scott's grave. Oh, wow. He's buried in Fremantle, right next to Perth. Wow. So my next story is going to be my homage to um, Perth. Highway to Perth. So it's like you're... Come like <laughs> on the highway to Perth. Highway to Perth. Tommy used to work on the docks. <laughs> um, see, you could have said I, I, I look like Malcolm Young, which you know, one of the ugliest son of a bitches has ever lived. And I'd have been happier than the John Bon Jovi. Yeah, but come on, I imagine like a sex symbol type of thing. Fucking chicks were throwing their panties at you. Jesus Christ. You could swing a dead cat with getting without hitting a But that's not that special. Just... You can get panties in a vending machine. <laughs> <laughs> Callback podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so, oh wow! So, um, where are we at? I think we're we're right at an hour. Right? We're at an hour. I'm pretty good at this. Uh, this is three in a row, right? I've done. You weren't looking at the screen. No, not at all. No. Wow. Um, on the head. So, uh, I, uh, we really appreciate you coming out here, taking the ride out to uh, out to where uh, you know East Los Angeles. Yeah, East Los over here. Not quite East. I know. Los I know. We know. It's like. Mount Washington. Mount Washington. Oh, is it? Not quite. Is that what property owners around here are calling it now? Exactly. Mount Washington. Mount Washington adjacent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, uh, uh, websites. You got. uh, TomRhodes.net is my website. Underscore TomRhodes is my Twitter. Uh, TomRhodes Radio is free on iTunes. There you go. Subscribe. Colossus of Me. It's my hilarious new double CD. Awesome. Light Sweet Crude, my hour special there on Netflix. On Netflix. What about the uh, is classes of me going to be the next special? Are we going to is that No, 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 no. It's um uh it, that's uh, the uh, it's the same material basically. Okay. So, um yeah, but that was filmed at a theater in Boulder, Colorado. Look for that on uh, Netflix and also uh, you have I'm assuming on tomroads.com you've got all your upcoming tour tomroads.net. Oh sorry, .net. Sorry about that. But you were talking about the YouTube stuff too. Do you have a YouTube channel or anything? I do. Just uh, search Tom Rhodes, it'll pop up. Perfect. All right, again, uh, our guest today was uh, Tom Rhodes. 
huge fans, loved your stuff, and and I just wanted to say it was great catching up with you. And you're a hell of a ball player, John. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> you're a hell of a ball player, I'm man. Always, you, you know why? You I'm stay always, down. You keep the ball in front of you. Keep my foot in the bucket. And you yeah. got a good attitude out there. Yeah. You're encouraging of other players. You're not afraid to give a little, you know, good smack on the ass when somebody <laughs> scores. I, uh, you're a team leader. And I'm always wearing a cup. I like your right friends. So, <laughs> all right, I appreciate it. Hey, thanks again, Tom, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye-bye.